Welcome to Canine Hijinks, the podcast for those who want to explore more ways to have fun with their dogs and perhaps discover the wider world of training and dog sports. It may even convert the casual pet owner into a dog sport enthusiast. Join me, Alyssa Looney. And me, Whitney Taylor, as we share our dog training journeys, as well as resources you can use to enhance your life with your canine friends. Welcome to the Canine Hijinks podcast. In our quest to explore the wider world of dog sports, we're covering the sport of flyball today. That's right. We're excited to be interviewing a dog sport enthusiast and flyball participant, Barbara Standiford. Barbara is a successful dog agility trainer and handler who competes in a variety of agility venues across the United States. Additionally, she is a UKI and USDAA master's level agility judge and owner of multiple dogs. A dog sport enthusiast, Barbara has also competed in herding, obedience, and flyball. An engineer in a previous life, Barbara began teaching agility full-time in 2012. She currently teaches in Hillsborough, Oregon, and Woodburn, Oregon, and is available for seminars and workshops on a variety of subjects. Welcome, Barbara. Thank you. Nice to be here. Yes, welcome, Barbara. So, Alyssa and Barbara, can you tell us a little bit about what you've been up to with your dogs recently? Um, haven't been doing much, getting back to work, uh, survived the COVID pandemic. Hopefully we are done with it. It was an interesting year last year. I actually whelped or had a, I didn't whelp. I whelped a litter of puppies. My, my youngest dog, no longer my youngest dog, had a litter of uh, border whippets. And so that was pretty fun, but back to teaching, back to, um, doing normal things, which has been pretty fun. Pretty fun. Yeah, that's, I love following your journey with your, with Jin and your puppies. Uh, so recently I took my youngest dog, Ale, to the beach and we got to explore several beaches. We did some dog training. We relaxed and she was super awesome off leash, which was a really nice thing to have at the beach. Whitney, what about you? All right. So I'm pretty sure I'm a broken record. I have been working with Sprite on weave poles. We have our agility debut coming up this weekend. And just yesterday, she did six straight weaves. Woo! I was um, exciting. I know. She's a very good girl. So that was um, super awesome and feels like a good accomplishment. Now I'm ready to tackle running contact training, I think. (laughs) Barbara, before we pick your brain about flyball, talk to us about the dogs that you currently have in your household and what you do with them. I have uh, four dogs right now. I have Mary, who is my 12-year-old border collie. Um, She is kind of winding down her agility career. Just a few more titles. I'd like to get her PDCH and USDA this year. Um, And Shine, who is my little token small dog. He's a nine-year-old Papillon. (laughs) And actually, both of those guys, Mary and Shine, have been benefiting from the USDA at home program. Um, getting some odd legs here and there, which has been pretty nice for their championships. And then I have Jen, who is my five-year-old border collie. Um, she whelped litter this year, actually last year, 2020, gave her lots of time off being pregnant, bring her back slowly. She started um, competing this month and she's been very excited to be back. <laughs> and then my youngest is um, Machete. He's also known as Mac. He is um, Jen's son and he's a border whippet. And it was interesting just thinking about doing border whippet breeding it I would never have considered it had I had done not done fly ball um and border whippets are very popular in fly ball um but that was an interesting uh segue to get to that part of you know just doing a different kind of breeding I didn't realize that his full name was machete (laughs) I've just known him as Mac yeah that's very cute 
Yeah. He's got the longest legs of a puppy you've ever seen. He is pretty, it's funny. I think he just passed Janet 20 inches. So we think he's still, oh. he's six months old this week. So he's um, definitely getting taller and he's, you know, it's, he looks like he's as tall as his mama right now. And his mom is not going to be happy because he's <laughs> going to be fast too. So admittedly, I know almost nothing about flyball. I know that the dogs run down the lane, turn on a box and bring the ball back. And I know that it's a relay event and that there are jumps involved. Yep. That's about the extent of my knowledge as well. So I think we should start with the basics. Barbara, can you give us a general description of what the sport is, what happens during a fly ball run? Sure. Fly ball is basically a two team race. Um, and each team fields four dogs, but they can list two additional dogs that can be competing on that team for the day. So you'll have dogs that maybe get, they'll get a heat or two, dogs will get a heat or two off during the day. And the team will be running three to five races per heat. And depending on the tournament, we'll run six to eight heats per racing day. It depends on how they're, they're set up and each team will have a strategy for putting that together. Um, the team tries to run all the four dogs as fast as possible to get the most amount of points. And there's a strategy involved in how to, how to figure that part out. Um, but the, basically the first dog has started using a countdown light and it looks kind of like a drag race where the colors go down and you release your dog and the dog is supposed to cross the finish or co- cross the start line before the, or after the timer goes. Each dog must take all four jumps to get to the trigger box. They must trigger the box to get the ball. They can't pull the ball out. And then the dog has to run back over all four jumps with the ball in his mouth. And then the next dog is released and the, the, that pattern continues. So all four dogs are going across um, all, all four, the whole race. If there is an error, like the dog passes too early or doesn't do all the jumps or doesn't take the ball all the way back, then the the judge will raise their hand and indicate that there was a fault during the run. And then that dog has to rerun. If the dog reruns correctly and they're under time, they'll still get all the points that they were allowed to get. Um, Multiple dogs can have faults and multiple dogs on different teams can have faults. Um, At some point, the team can decide whether or not they don't wanna run anymore it's, it's obvious that they're not going to get any points or they're too tired and they can just forfeit that particular race. So I always thought that the balls were like Velcroed onto the box, but it doesn't sound like that's true. You said it they have to trigger the true. box. There is a trigger. And I believe there's a guy in Canada who makes most of the boxes. They, you, there's actually a trigger. So they jump on the box with all four feet. You can actually the dog can do it any way they want to, but it's safer to do a swimmer's turn. So they jump on it all four feet and that triggers the box to uh, shoot the ball out. And uh, at actually at every, t- at every tournament, every box is tested to make sure that um, it shoots the ball out a certain distance. So it has to have, you know, it has to have some velocity to it. It can't just be, it, the dog literally cannot just grab it out of it, out of the box without it being triggered. They have to catch it as it flies. If that makes sense. Yes, that makes sense. Okay, so then you're joining some kind of an organization. Can you talk to us about how the organizations are organized? Sure. There's two main organizations that uh, sponsor flyball tournaments. Well, I should say sponsor flyball tournaments in a normal year since we haven't had flyball in over a year now. 
Um, one is NAFA, which is the original uh, flyball organization that stands for North American Flyball Association. And then the other one is called UFLY, which is U-FLI. And both of them have pretty similar programs. Um, NAFA has just the four dog tournament um, classes, but UFLY actually does a couple of things different. They have singles. And so dogs can just race. It's just a one dog down and back type of race. Oh. And so you can get pretty competitive people, you know, just doing teams or there's also a two dog team. So you can have just two dogs racing. Um, and I've been to one U fly tournament, but the most, the majority of tournaments I've been to are NAFA, but it was really interesting watching the two dog team. Cause some of it was, were people that were just like, Hey, you know, let's throw down the gauntlet and try to beat, you know, some other team that they were, you know, they were all like all these really fast dogs. But the other part to it was dogs that are new, so they didn't have to compete or have to deal with passing into another dog. They only had to pass into one dog instead of having to pass into multiple dogs or have four, four dogs in a team. So it was a really good strategy for young green teams to do a two-dog two team. And it's also fun for more experienced teams to actually, let's see how fast can we get these both dogs to run. Um, so that's just a bit of a difference between those two. Um, organization. All of the, in Napa, all of the region or all the countries divided up into regions. So you have a regional, uh, you belong to a region. So uh, from Oregon, Washington, and British Columbia, we belong to region seven. And so all of the teams that are competing at, um, in this local area, so in Washington, Oregon, and, and British Columbia, all compete together. So we all go to the same tournaments and, and compete for regional points. So every you know, and every region will have a regional champion. So you can have, you know, some, you know, you see the same people at all the, at the tournaments, like you go to an agility trial, you see the same people in the local shows, but the region is, the, you'll fight, you'll, you'll work for regional points. In NAFA and UFLY, there's a regular division and that's for the regional points. That's the more competitive um, division that they have. And then there's also an open division, which is generally what I would consider like pickup teams. So people will advertise, well, I want to just go play fly ball. I don't have a team or, you know, you can pick teams from different, you can pick uh, dogs from different teams and make, you know, ad hoc team for that tournament and just play around that way. You still get the same points based upon, you know, for your, your own personal titles, but you're not competing at the regional level. That's about it. And so you're, you're competing on a team with the same group of people each time you compete as opposed to it being an individual event yeah I think the difference between fly ball and agility agility is a is an individual event primarily and we do have team events usually in USDA we have a dam team or pairs I mean so that's a team event there that way but fly ball is strictly it's it's your team you you join a team you compete with that team on on so many levels and so I want you to think about like there's all sorts of competitiveness levels at each region. I mean, there are people who who are in my region who want to run, you know, sub 15s, and that means all four dogs are successful of running back there and back, getting the ball at under 15 seconds. And other teams are just interested in maximizing the amount of points they get. So if they get, you know, they get under a certain time, then they get the most amount of points, and so they'll they'll set up their teams that way. And at the tournament level the team manager has to come in with information about what they think their team seed will be. So they'll try to figure out like, well, I have six people that are going to be on this team. And I think if these guys run together, our 
our top speed will probably be 21 seconds. And so they'll, that'll send, they'll send that into the entry. NAFA will decide how to divide the entire tournament so that like teams are, are running against like teams. And so you don't want to be having like a 26 second team running against a 15 second team. It's just not very fun. It's not very competitive because it's just, it's, you know, it's just not very fun to see that kind of thing. But you'll, you'll run in your tournament, you'll run against teams that have a similar seed time. So I, I think then my next question is, how is a tournament organized then? Like what, so there's an entry form with a team and a seed time. There are heats and a certain number of runs. Can, walk, can you walk us through that a little bit? Sure. So there's, um, there's tournaments. And so depending on the, the number of teams that come, they'll either do a one lane tournament in which everybody just competes on the same set of lanes, or there's a two lane tournament, which is local. I suspect that there's probably other regions that have more teams and they'll have a bigger area. The biggest tournament I went to, which is Can-Am, is basically NAFA's national organ or national competition. And there were seven rings going at the same time. Wow. Yeah, it was it was actually pretty well run, to be honest with you. They'll send you the information about what team you're on and what when you're racing, and you'll just get the number of races. So I, and I'm just going to make up a number. Say there's 100 heats in a day. That's probably a little bit less. So there's 100 heats in a day. And then they'll decide how many in that particular heat. So if you have a heat, that means you're going to be running against another team. Your team is going to be running against another team. And it depends on if they can either do three to five races per heat. Okay. Um, and that depends on how the tournament is set up. And it depends on, I think that's decided at the, you know, at the NAFA office. And then it depends on how many heats you're going to have or how many races you're going to have. So typically, like I said, it's between three and five races per heat. And then you may have six to eight. So you, you'll know your schedule and you'll know, okay, so team A is going to race team B on this time. And then, it, you know, they have a printed out schedule where you, you'll see it and you'll, you'll know which lane you're going to be in and which, um, which ring you're going to be in if there's multiple rings. And you just go back and forth and, you know, one team, you know, the team races and when they're done, the next team comes in and they do their warm up, and then they race. And then the next teams come in and they do their warm up and they race every time there's a heat, a new heat, um, you get a little bit of a warm up. The first one of the morning, you get three minutes, I believe. And then every subsequent one during the day, you get another like 90 seconds. So the teams can, you can practice your run backs or you can send your dog down, you know, and do a full run to make sure that they understand which, which lane they're in. Um, or you can just make sure, you know, and that, and that's the place where you can put, use props to make sure your dog's actually coming into the box correctly. Um, so there's all sorts of things like that, but then the race starts um, and then you get three to five races per heat. Got it. Well, three minutes sounds like forever if a whole race only takes 15 seconds. Sure. But you also have to take into account you have four dogs who can come in and they need they all need to practice. Right. right. Especially in the morning. Well, so they six. all need to you go said down there's to the six, box. right? But four races at a time. Oh, so only you only warm up if you're racing in that heat. Correct. Got it. Well, and that's the actually really interesting about fly ball is you can if you have six people on your team, and sometimes what they'll do is they'll put a green dog on and so that they can do a warm-up and not race but as long as they're listed on the team they can they can participate in the warm-up before the race interesting okay okay yeah and if you're having a problem with a dog 
you can um, you can substitute a dog in for a heat within that race. Interesting. How are clean runs and points determined and like what kind of titles are there within the sport? So because you mentioned before, there's some strategy around being fastest versus versus getting the most points. So, it, okay, so the start line is designated and it's, this is a little bit of a side tip. Farm Tech actually makes the um, the timers for fly ball, same as they do for agility, which I thought was really kind of fascinating. <laughs> anyway, so that's the start line. There is a judge, a line judge, and there's also electronic sensors. So there's a line judge and that person watches the line to make sure that the dogs pass. Each dog is on the correct side of the start gate when they pass. Mm-hmm. And then there is a box judge at the end. And so that person watches the dog, makes sure that the dog has run down all four jumps, you know, hits the fly ball box, um, turns and comes back over all four jumps. And if there's any fouls in the middle of that, then they are supposed to raise a flag and the judge should look at that. The judge can also see to make sure that something is going on. Mm -hmm. So if you run clean, so all four dogs run clean, and you're under 25, 24 seconds, each member of that team that raced, the four dogs that raced, gets 25 points. And clean runs that are under 28 seconds are awarded five points, and clean runs under 32 seconds are awarded one point. So those are the point systems that you, you get when you're racing. There's also, within each tournament, a tournament competition. So even if you say you you're having a lot of fouls and the other dog, the other team doesn't finish and you, you have to rerun and have to rerun and you do it in 50 seconds. Um, and the other team was slower, doesn't finish. You will still get points for that tournament, even if you don't get points for your titles. Okay. Okay. So there's at a, at a tournament, you have that kind of thing going on. When you earn points, you earn titles. Your first title is pretty much, I think it's 25 points and you're a fly ball dog. So Pretty much the first time you race, you'll get a, a title of fly That's ball. kind of fun. Like you did the thing. Yay. I did the thing. <laughs> woo-hoo, yeah. And then after as many points as you can get. So, at, you know, the big ones are five 5,000 points, which is fly ball master. And I believe you can get that on your AKC. Um, you can pay a little bit of money to AKC and you can have that title put onto your AKC record, by the way. Oh. Um, fly ball master at 5,000 points. The big, the next big one is 20,000 points for Onyx. And then the big one really, I think is a hundred thousand points for Hobbs and Onyx and Hobbs were actually titles named after the first dogs that achieved those points. Oh, cool. So that's, you know, if you get your Hobbs, it means you've done it a um, hundred thousand. There is, I believe a dog, at least one dog that I know of last time I checked the records has 200,000 points. Wow. Um, yeah. Like. Holy crap. I just, yeah, I'm just still going. Last time I checked, was still earning points, but obviously not this year. The other wow. thing that Eyeball does that I think is a little bit different is they call, um, they do Iron Dog. And it's basically if you competed and earned at least one point in the competition year for 10 years in a row, you get an Iron Dog designation. Oh. So, you know, they actually try to promote longevity there. So that's pretty nice. It's an interesting point. We talk often in agility about the types of behavior slash training slash strategy that is rewarded by different structures. So I think having an award for 
being have keeping your dog healthy and fit for that long is really cool. There isn't really anything very similar in agility that I'm aware of, aside from the Lifetime Achievement Awards in USDAA. Otherwise, it's just, it's all about cues. So I guess if you keep running, you keep racking up titles. You can, that's sure, but it doesn't really, I mean, I actually think that the iron, I mean, that, that is, I agree with you. The iron dog thing is definitely unique to fly ball. Um, and it's very interesting. I mean, I've had, I've been, you know, some of my teammates have gotten their iron dog. I've been at the tournaments and it's, it's definitely a, you know, one of those, everybody's you're not crying. I'm crying thing, or <laughs> you, know, you know, older dogs and you know, they're not as fast as they used to be, but they're still enjoying it and they love it. So, you know, it's fun to watch them do that. That's cool. Oh, mm-hmm. that's neat. Mm-hmm. So, so back to some of the specifics of the sport, there are jumps four jumps. You said, are they always the same height and distance apart? They are always the same distance apart. And that's, um, it's the start line. It's okay. Timers are placed six feet to the, and then it's six feet to the first jump. Each jump is 10 feet apart. And then the box is 15 feet from the last jump. And that's always the same. And I believe that is the same across all the venues. It's kind of like with weave pulls, you always start on the left shoulder and right. they've never changed that, which I think is great because otherwise I think it would get very confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, the height can vary and, you know, we can also, we'll probably spend some time talking about what a height dog is. So the height dog will be set. It's the minimum of six inches. And I believe that it's no taller than 14 inches. And it's based upon the withers of the shortest dog on the team. Um, and it's really interesting. So in agility, everybody has to get measured. Everybody has to get measured no matter what you're doing because you need to jump, you know, a certain jump height. But in um, fly ball, only height dogs get measured. Oh. Because it doesn't matter if you have a 20-inch porter collie because you're not setting any different height. You're right. You're if you're only running 20 inch border collies, you're going to be jumping 14. So getting a height dog actually, you know, a, a fast little dog will set, you know, it, it, you know, the whole idea is if if each jump is a little bit lower, the team should be faster. Um the problem is if you have like a 20 inch border collie, they tend to be really fast. So it's like you have to you have to figure out the balance there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's in the regular division in NAFA. So if you're competing at the tournament level or the regional level, you have to have a height dog. But then in the open division, which is, we talked about that earlier, which is like a pickup team, all the jumps are set at six inches. And so it doesn't matter if you have a height dog or not. And so that's, that's a nice thing. You can just compete with all the border college. You're not competing for regional points, but you're still competing for um, your, your top, your titling points. So got it. How is it that dogs know to stay in their lane and come back to their handlers instead of just running and playing with the dog that this that is the next lane over? I think this is actually one of the things that um, kind of fascinated me about play ball in general. I think in agility, people don't really need to, to watch whether or not their dog is going to go play with another dog because it's usually just one dog on course. Um, the few times where you're not running you're running multiple dogs, you, you kind of manage all that stuff. But in fly ball, it is actually something that we work really um, extensively on is making sure that the dog comes back to the owner. What you're talking about where a dog cross and it's called crossing over. Um, so fly ball is divided. There's like a middle line down the center. And if a dog crosses that line, then the race is called, the whistle's blown, the judge stops all rest, racing. 
because it could be a very dangerous situation, especially for a fast dog. Because some of these dogs, I mean, I know Jen doesn't even pay attention to what else is going on. She's just, she's got her job. I'm going to run down these line. And then if, if another dog crossed into her, it would probably be pretty, pretty horrific. Actually, I've seen it happen in fly ball where um, dogs have been excused from tournaments for just being friendly, not even doing anything aggressive or anything, but would cross over the line. And they were told, you know, you, if you don't fix this, you're, you're going to, you're not going to be competing. And um, ultimately they, they don't, this person or I've seen people not come back to the sport because their dogs would not abide by staying in the lane. So it's something that fly ball people train a lot. They also train, you know, just that kind of behavior. So you, you know, usually with tugs is what most people do or with food or some sort of toy. So you're encouraging the dog to come back to you um, with one of those things. I know with Mac, I mean, we're playing, you know, his, his fly ball foundation right now is, you know, restrain recalls coming to a tug. So he's going to come to a tug and tug with me. Um, and that's all we're working on. He's not even, I mean, he's not even ready for jumps or box work or anything like that, but we're just instilling that into him right now. It's about building value essentially for the behavior of returning to the handler and tugging on the thing or eating the thing or playing with Mm -hmm. the toy. So you spend a lot of time building value. You have to be really careful about what kind of toys you have. It can't interfere with anybody else's run. So you can't, you know, one of my teammates has her dog come back to a Frisbee and she just tosses it right to her dog. She can't toss it throughout the building. You have to be careful that you're, what you're doing with your dog isn't going to interfere with anybody else. So I don't like, you know, if you wanted to come back to like a manners minder, I don't think that that would work. Because <laughs> it goes, goes beep, uh, beep because uh, that's yes. the noise that the manor spider makes that, exactly. that the exactly. dogs know oh so well the beep and then the turn of the wheel that releases the food but it's definitely something we like we work on um some of the training we do is actually passing dogs and so that's you know because we don't have to do that in agility you have you know you have to pass in pretty tight quarters yeah so the dogs have to be comfortable with that and a lot of dogs don't so aren't comfortable so you have to work on that so that brings us to my next question, which is how does the relay actually work? When I think about the only relays I've been involved in was in track and field and we had an actual baton that we handed off or in agility, if we run pairs or team, we have a baton that we hand off. How does that work in uh, fly ball? Because the dogs obviously don't have a baton. Dogs don't have a baton. That's true. That would be probably just another, wow, that would just be a crazy thing. So the first dog is released. Basically, so from the start line, um, most tournaments have a run back and it's usually at least 50 to 60 feet. Some, I believe some places on the East Coast have a shorter run back, which I find really uncomfortable. Jin, Jin needs um, a lot of run back. She has a so she, space after the, after the course to run, after run the, out. Yeah. Okay. Yep. The run back. So and it's usually, yeah, so after the, like, after the timer, so the dog can just bleed off their speed. Got it. Um, so I start Jen, and this is just, when she's, I start Jen about 40 feet out. I release Jen when the previous dog is at a certain point. So the first dog is released um, with the timer, and then every other dog is released, and the team and, you know, the individual's decide when that's going to happen. So if you have a very fast team and who is very consistent, you can release when the dog is coming off the box. 
Um, if you have a team that doesn't have a lot of consistency, you'll re you'll release when the dog is closer to the end. So they're coming back and maybe um, coming at, like maybe they're at the second jump and then you'll release your dog. Um, so you have to figure out the timing part of that. And that's just an individual um, working through that. And that's one of the things that might, you know, teams practice when they, they do practice. So most teams, I think, practice once a week or twice a week. And they work on the timing of when you're going to release your dog. But there's no, it's just a matter of like your comfort level. The closer you are to the start line, the the further that next dog has to be closer to you. And it just depends on the speed. So you have to take into account, is that dog ahead of you running a 3.8? You know, when they're running, if they're running a 4.5. So if they're running a 4.5, right. you'll release a little bit later. If they're running a 3.8, you'll, you'll release a little bit earlier. I also play with distance. So if I'm releasing to a dog, it's pretty consistent. If I'm, if Jen's particularly fast that day or particularly slow, I may move up my start, like, so instead of 40 feet, I may say 39 feet, or I'll maybe go to 41 feet. Each team usually has what kind of like a first first base coach, third base coach. They have somebody watching the pass lanes. And so they'll tell you whether or not you're close, close pass or far pass. And so you can adjust mm. your, your timing that way. So you, you can't have two dogs pass the start line at any one time. Is that right? The the dogs have to pass and when I'm talking about pass their noses have to pass where the team lines up side of the start line and if you look at the farm tech timers there's actually one transmitter and two receivers it, it will know who triggers the either the outgoing dog or the incoming dog will trigger the the beam first they'll it'll know it actually oh okay huh I hadn't thought about yeah. that part of it so if you're you know you're talking about these team I, I kind of alluded to the 14 second team I believe I'd have to go look the world record is 14 something. A lot of teams that are doing that kind of passing, you have to be just spot on. I mean, yeah, like their their pass has to be as close to that um, timer as you could possibly get. They're, they're gonna have a lot of mistakes because they're they're passing right. so close. They're gonna have a lot of false starts. If you're actually looking to break a world record, you're actually not looking to win a tournament. You're actually trying to break a world record. Right, right, right. That makes sense. Well, and the only thing that I can think of that is sort of similar. <clears throat> is thinking about a gambler's run in agility and that you have either 25 or 30 seconds in your opening time to do as many obstacles as you can do and earn as many points as you can earn before the closing buzzer when you go do the distance challenge. And you really have to know your dog when you're planning your course to say, this my dog can do 10 to 12 obstacles in 25 seconds versus 13 to 14 in 30 seconds. And so for the three of us who all do agility, we've all seen those people who they have their plan and it times out perfectly and the buzzer goes and they are sending their dog over the line to the first obstacle of the gamble. So it makes sense to me that it's something that you can figure out over time, especially if you're maybe running after a, a, the same dog a lot that you can really, you know, if you're trying to break a world record, then you're looking at, I always run after this dog. I always release my dog from this distance when they're there mm -hmm. to get the closest pass possible. So absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just looked it up. The world record is 14.433. And I believe three of those are mixes. So probably, 
or four of those are mixed dogs. So I'm going to guess that they're border whippets. And then the eight inch dog, which is the height dog on that team, is an eight inch mix. It's probably one of those multi mixed dogs. 14.433. Which means that it's awfully tight if they are counting it down to, is that thousands? tenths hundreds thousands of a second so yeah that's a that's an Mm -hmm. awfully tight olympic level race if you're coming down to thousands of a second the one i always remember that i definitely want to link to is the one from crufts a couple years ago that was the border whippet team that just smoked everybody and it was incredible to watch that was the the, that crufts clip was played for the puppies and when i was doing their desensitization (laughs) (laughs) Tapes. So. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. So we have a decent understanding of the game itself. So let's walk through, we've kind of touched on some of these things. Let's walk through the behaviors that a dog needs to know and be able to do in order to participate in fly ball. So that's all for today's episode. Wait, what? Are you kidding me? That's it? You're just going to leave us there? Yeah. So this was such a great conversation that we decided to divide this into two episodes. So join us next week when Barb will answer the question I just posed and we talk more about what dogs and people are suited to this sport and a few other fun things. Okay, back to our regularly scheduled closing. Don't forget to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast so you can join us for our next episode. In the meantime, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube or by visiting our website at www.caninehijinks.com. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to go out and have some fun with your dogs. Talk to you next time.